asking, Papa, are you coming now? I said, well, no, it's not, you know, for another week. Papa, are you coming now? Well, no, it's not till Saturday. You know, Papa, are you coming now? And so anyway, you know, we was going over this conversation. Well, he's telling me all that he wants to do when we come. He wants to go to Aurelio's Pizza. If you've not been to Aurelio's Pizza, if you, you know, it's up in the Chicago area mainly. Uh, the guy Joe Aurelio started this pizza place actually in the south suburbs near where we lived. And... Um, it went nuts, you know, and it franchises now. Well, there's one in Laporte. They got really good pizza, so he didn't have to ask me more than once to take him to Aurelio's Pizza. I said, yeah, you know, we can do that. And then, you know, he calls me another day, Papa, can we go to the library? I said, well, yeah, you know, we, you know, we can do that and stuff. Well, so we did all of the, you know, we, we went to, um, on our way to the library, we stopped by where their parents were playing softball, and they said, why are we here? You know, I said, well, your parents are playing. We want to go to the library. They said, oh, okay. Uh, so anyway, we went to the library, and then we went to Aurelio's Pizza, and while we were at Aurelio's Pizza, I said, I have a surprise for you. I said, I'm going to take you somewhere. And, they, and uh, Molly says, give me a hint, Papa. And uh, so I gave her a hint, and Max looks at me and says, give me a mint, Papa. I said, <laughs> I said, a mint? I said, there's mints in the car. And he looked at me, and I said, I said oh, a hint. And I said, yeah. So anyway, I took him to this place that Molly had shown us before that she really liked. It's called Little's Chocolate Company. Um, well, so guess what they have there? Uh, so when we went in, you know, we told him, of course, pick out what you want. Your parents aren't here. Uh, <laughs> Privilege of grandparents. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, so they picked out the biggest snowman sucker, and literally, I think it was this big. And I'm not sure why it was on a stick, but uh, it was helpful because then it didn't melt in their hands. But it did melt all over his face. <laughs> We're sitting. They decided they wanted to sit there and have them, which turned out to be a good idea, in my opinion, because... We were in our car, and uh, yeah, and so uh, we're sit- they had little tables in there, and um, you know we're sitting. There's only two people at a table, so they were sitting at one, and we were actually just right next to them, and you know they had toys there and stuff. Max and I were back to back, and he turns around. He's got chocolate, like like all over his face here, and I thought, you know, dude. <laughs> It's good stuff, huh? Uh, So it was very easy to wipe him up. But it reminded me of when our kids were small. And their face, you know, they would notice all of a sudden there's kind of this orange glow on their face to which I attributed to the fact that they were being sloppy when they ate. Uh, Mandy, Max's mom, when she was learning to eat, one of the things she did with food was uh, rub it all over. And I mean, like... This is not an exaggeration. Whatever she ate was always in her hair, you know. So she got a bath after every meal. But um, so I just figured this orange glow was from what, you know, they had smeared on their face, to which I proceeded to try to wipe it off. And uh, some of you already know where this has gone. But it didn't wipe off because it wasn't from what they had rubbed on their face. It was from... Uh, you know, apparently when, you know, baby, when you start baby food, uh, carrots, sweet potatoes, and squash are the go-to foods, and they um, must sit well in the kid's stomach or something until they grow up and realize that they're eating carrots, sweet potatoes, and squash, and then they don't want them. But uh, so their skin kind of took on this orange glow, not because of what was smeared on them, but because of what, what they were eating because of what was going in them. 
And it was showing through. And I thought, let's not feed her peas. You know, um, <laughs> and, and, and you know, so what goes in, you know, it shows. Maybe you remember this guy. You may have seen him. Yes, that is his real skin color. I should say was because he passed away a number of years ago. Um, his name, I wrote his name down. Paul Carrison is his name. Now, his skin turned this bluish purple after he had self-administered. All the medical people went, ding, ding, dummy. Uh, after he self-administered some silver compound uh, for dermatitis, he had extreme dermatitis. And I thought, dude, it must have been extreme. Um, and so for 10 years... He was taking, at this point, when this picture is taken, he had been taking this silver, I think it was a silver nitrate, I don't, I, I don't know, but it was some silver compound that he was taking, um, and it apparently met with some success because then he started rubbing it on his face as well. He, you know, he, he did, and um, it, it, from that silver, from ingesting all that silver, this is what it did to him. It turned his skin uh, this color. Now, you know, we're, those are physical examples of what we're talking about today, you know, because it's true in our spiritual lives as well. What you consistently take in will show through your life. I mean, it will show through your life. It, it, it will come out. So, so, you know, the question for us then is, you know, what or who do you glow with? You may not like this, but you better realize it's a truth. It's a true statement. The biggest influence on your life, whoever or whatever is the biggest influence on your life, is showing through. It is. You can't get away from it. You cannot get away from it. Because, you see, it becomes a part of us. Whatever that biggest influence on your life is, think about that when you're letting your kids you know, do video games constantly and all this other stuff. But, but whatever it is, that it, it, it is showing through your life. Whatever that biggest influence is or whoever it is, it's showing through. So when people look at you, what do they see or who do they see? Now, we're going to think about that today as we continue to look at Paul's letter to the Colossians. Let's pray, and we'll turn to our passage. Father, uh, thank you for your word. I was going to say the clarity of your word. Some of it's very clear to us, and some of it we look at and we're kind of befuddled. Um, and, And all that, I think, comes up in this passage we're looking at today. So give us your wisdom. We need it from you. We have to understand what you say. Uh, Give us guidance and direction. Help us to see and to know what it is that um, you have put here for us. Now, everybody here is facing different challenges and different things going on in our life, but the, the cool thing about that is you know what, it, what each one is. You know what every single one of us are facing. Uh, so we need your help that we might be able to face it in a manner that, uh, well, what we're just saying, Christ before me, Christ behind me, that it would be, that you would be the one that they would see. And, and really, we know in our head, that you're the one we need to depend on and follow, but uh, now we need to get it in our life a little more. So give us that direction, uh, really, by, by your spirit working, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, drop down to verse 21. It's on page 1084 if you're using a pew Bible, if you're using your own thing, 
find it, you know, chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 21. Part of what you're going to see, and as you see on the screen there, we're going to read all the way through chapter 2, verse 3, into the first few verses of chapter 2. And part of what you're going to see in these verses is that when we have a relationship with Christ, then Christ is in us. You'll see that unfold as we go through here. And when Christ is in us, there will be a noticeable difference. Notice I didn't say there should be because I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say there will be. When Christ is in us, there will be a noticeable difference. So then if there's not a noticeable difference, you see, then we need to, we need to ask ourselves, you know, who is it that we're, that we're letting fill us? Who is it that we're letting, you know, letting, letting in us there? Uh, in this section of the letter here, Paul is giving them, the Colossians, some information about the ministry that God has led him to. Paul does this often in his letters. He, uh, in some of the letters, he's a little stronger about what it is that, that uh, God is doing in him and that God is doing through him because in some of the, in some of the letters he's writing a defense because he's being attacked. Here it isn't necessarily, that, that isn't necessarily the reason here, but he still is giving them some information. Remember, they've never met Paul. They've never met him. Uh, he, we have no record of him ever visiting Colossae. We have no record of that at all. He, it was started, the, the, the church in Colossae was started by some who had heard Paul during the time he was in Ephesus. He was in Ephesus for a longer period of time. And, and some who had heard him came back to Colossae and brought the, brought the, the gospel there. And that was how it started. Now, Paul is using that information about how God led him to help the Colossians and, and really by the providence and the wisdom of God to help us you know, understand more of God's work in our own lives. And that's going to be our focus, God's work in our own lives. You know, we're, going to, we're going to go through this in three smaller sections to help us grasp it a little more. Um, so you keep your Bible handy either when I stop, leave it open there or stick a marker in it or something so you can flip back. Uh, quickly when you know when we when we get there um, we're going to look at three results that come from having christ in us now there are more than three results certainly and maybe even in these passages so really what i'm sharing with you are three that stood out to me uh, from these verses so colossians chapter 1 verse 21 he says once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now we're going to pause there as, we're, you know, as, I, as I look at this. One of the things you know, with Christ in me is that I have a new standing. I have a new standing you know, in Christ. Notice it says we start out alienated from God, alienated from God. Now, we might use the word, you know, some of the words, you know, estranged or separated, not speaking, at odds, divided. I met someone uh, last week, week before, I forget, I think it was week before. At any rate, they, one of the things uh, they kind of reached out to us, turns out it's a cousin of mine that I never met um, you know, 63 years old, and I never met her. Uh, I, I guess I may have because she was out in Colorado, and I remember this is before my dad left. So you know, I mean, I was quite young, 
when he left. Uh, we drove out to Colorado. I do remember, you know, bits and pieces of that. So apparently I may have met her because she's older than me. And uh, But at any rate, she reached out to us because she said she's estranged from her brother and sister. Uh, you know, and... and uh, it was just kind of interesting. And as I, as I look at this, and he uses this word, you know, that, that we're alienated, um, you know, that's estranged is one of the words we might use, you know, separated. It, it identifies a broken relationship. Really, it's an absence of a relationship. It's an absence of a connection. That's what, it, that's what it's talking about. And it says we were alienated from God. We had no connection with God's people. We had no connection to the life of God. We had no connection to God himself. He says that's where we were. We were shut out from fellowship of any intimacy with God. We had no relationship with God. That's not the place you want to be. That's not the place you want to be living. Now notice what he says there. We're alienated from God because we were hostile in our minds toward God, it says. Uh, the, the King James in the NIV uses the word enemies. You know, hostile. We were enemies. Hostile there. It's a word meaning hate or hateful. Hated or hateful. It's related to our word enemies, which is why some of the translations use, you know, use enemies. But we were hostile. We were we were. We were estranged from God we were you know we were separated not speaking of at odds divided we were his enemy in Philippians chapter 3 Paul writing there he says for I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ many live that way many he said the lives of many are unfolding in such a manner that they that they are living as enemies of the cross people live that way toward god and they don't even realize it some do realize it but some some don't some just don't they don't even realize it you know even though some people are religious they stand outside of a relationship with christ just because someone is religious does not mean that they have a relationship with Christ. They can be religious and still be an enemy of God because they are being religious and standing outside of that relationship to Christ because what they're doing is they're grasping onto their religion and, and, and living a religion as opposed to living a relationship. A religion just is looking to fill out the check marks. Did that, did that. That. Not that they're bad, you see, but if that's the goal, if the goal is living, if the, if the you know, there's the check marks. I, I went to church, check. I gave any offering, check. I actually talked to someone, check. I, you know, I, I, I didn't punch my neighbor when he said that, check. And, and, and we begin living this checklist. Now, again, all of those things are good things. But the motivation should not be so that we can have a checklist thinking that we're building up all of these good things. That's what the checklist does, thinks that we're building up all of these good things. And it's because all of these good things we say, oh, hey, then I'm good. No, that's not why we're, that's not why we're good. We, we are good with God because of our relationship to Christ. When we have a relationship with Christ, these things will be happening. You know, these things will be happening. But we're not doing these things, you know, to please God. We're doing these things because we are because you know we are pleased by God you know because we have that relationship with him we're living from that relationship not for that relationship and so you can have you know you can have religion and you can be religious and still stand outside the relationship with Christ 
We live as enemies of the cross when we substitute religious practices for that living, growing relationship with Jesus. And the absence of a relationship with God, the absence of Christ in a person, will result in the evil actions that it talks about there in Colossians. It says, but then when we come to a relationship with Jesus, we're reconciled. Reconciled, good word there, you know, reconciled. The word means to bring from one condition to another. You see, here's the deal. He says you were enemies, you know, you were hostile. You're brought from that place of hostility into a place of peace with God. You're brought from that place of of an enemy into a place of a friend. Better than that, he tells us that we are all, we become what? Children of God. We become sons of God. We are brought from that place of enemy into the family. Now, some of you have messed up families, and, and I'm sorry about that. I really am. I mean, I, I think it's a shame. Um, you know, I, we, we all come with baggage, and we come with baggage that comes from our family. Some of it's good baggage. Some of it's, some of it's not. Some of it's a bit of a struggle. Um, you know, I have both coming from, you know, coming from uh, when I grew up. Same with Ginny. You know, I mean, we both came from, from dysfunctional families. Uh, we came from, uh, you know, the, our back, according to the backgrounds and statistics, we should be, uh, you know, we should be uh, divorced and I should be a drunkard. And, you know, we can go down the list because statistically, you see, that's what's in my family. And that's what's in Ginny's family. And so all of these studies and things that will tell you, you know, we, we, we go against the statistics by the grace of God. Because of what God has done in our lives. You see. But I would say we have a good family. Not just Ginny and I. I get along with my three sisters. We talk. We're not estranged. You know, we, we, we interact with each other. We enjoy seeing each other. Uh, Jenny's two brothers, she talks with her brothers. We enjoy seeing them. You know, they live in Florida. You know, my family, the ones in Florida, two are in the Chicago area, so we don't see each other real often. But, you know, we do interact with our kids. You know, I mean, we see them all. I mean, two of them and six of my grandkids come to church here. You know, just we were just with Mandy. We're going to go on vacation this summer. You know, we, we do that every summer. Because we love being part of a family. He says, you were estranged from God. You were outside of that. You were living as enemies. He said, but you were reconciled. You were changed from that relationship into his family. Into his family. You know, into being a, a, a part of who he is. You know, being, being there is family. We come into a relationship with Christ. You know, we're brought from that condition of being enemies into a standing before God. Notice what it says there. You know, standing before God in verse 22, it says that we are holy before God in Christ. Holy, set apart, something set apart, devoted for his use. Something that was used, that was, that was in use for honoring God. This is what it means to be holy. Holy living is, is living that is set apart and devoted to God and for his use. 
without holiness, it says no one will see the Lord without, you know, being holy, without, without that being made again by him, without that, you know, he calls us when we have that relationship to him, he calls us to himself to live a life that is holy, one that is set apart, one that is devoted for his use. This is what should be coming from us. This is what should be flowing from us, he says there. Holy living, set apart, devoted to God. In Christ, it also says in verse 22 that we are faultless and blameless, faultless, without blemish. You know, without blemish is what that word means. Now, here's a picture that comes to my mind when I, when I look at this. I enjoy woodworking, um, and, and I enjoy building things. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be wood, but wood's easier in my mind. Uh, so anyway, I, I enjoy work, and I, and I look at things. We're refinishing a table, we being Mandy and I, meaning that she brought it to my house, and she lives in Laporte. She did, she's, she's done a lot of work on it. She has, she's come in, you know, and my garage is a dusty mess, but anyway, she's, you know, she's certainly working on it. Well, so this table, we're refinishing this table, this dining room table that Ginny and I got. Um, it was the first table Ginny and I bought when we were, when we were getting married. Um, you know, we bought it and it was a used table, sounds odd, doesn't it? We didn't buy a brand new. Um, so anyway, uh, we're, we're working on this thing and we're sanding it down. Now, when I look at it, it looks good. But you know one of the things I do is I kind of look across the top of it, too. Because I'm looking for any blemish. I'm looking for any blemish in it. So I'll look at it this way, and I'll put the light there, and I'll walk around the other side, and, and, I, and I look, you know, and it says without... And I'm looking for it to be without blemish there, without any marks, no matter what angle I look at it at. There's the picture of this word. We're faultless, no matter what angle you look at it from. All right, now, you're saying, no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm telling you, this is, what, this is how God looks at us. This is what we have in Christ. This is the relationship we have in Christ. It says, and we're blameless. Blameless means that you can lay nothing to their charge. It doesn't mean that you can't be accused. What it means is that even though you're accused, other people are going to say, you're wrong. That is not that per- That is not him. That is not her. You know, it's that when that accusation comes out there, it's not going to stick because, because you know, your, your life and your living is in such a way, you know, and it could be that, you know, you were messed up, but people notice such a dramatic change in you that they're going to say, you know, that, that may be what it is, but that, that, is, that is not them. That's the picture of these words. And he says that, that when we're in Christ, we have this new standing. This new standing with him, holy, faultless, blameless, part of the family. This whole new standing. Now, don't ignore the warning in verse 23. He says, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, and you are not shifted away. I like the way it's put in the, in the Holman Christian standard. You're not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. I found it interesting as I was studying this. I, I, stu- I looked up that word for shifted away. Um, some of the translations say moved, moved away. It's a word that they also use to describe the effects of an earthquake. The effects of an earthquake. And Colossae was in an, earthqu- in a, in a, in an area you know, that's, that was prone to have earthquakes. So this was a very vivid picture for them. And when you think of, of an earthquake and, and what happens there, you know, and sometimes the shaking comes in and the building collapses, or maybe the building just shifts, 
Now just shifts and, 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 and moves a little bit. As I was looking at this and I was thinking about this, you know, it, it, here's what I was thinking. You know, don't let the rumblings of this world move you away from living from your new standing in Christ. The enemy would love to bump you off center. He would love to, you know, in our family when the kids were growing up, I'd, you know, I'd be walking down the hall together and every once in a while I'd go to the kid and go and hip shot, you know, and I'd just knock him against the wall. That's what the enemy would love to do to you, give you a hip shot, you know, just knock you off. Just knock you off that standing. And one of the things you'll see me do to my grandkids sometimes, you know, I'll hold on to their hand and they're walking on ice and I make sure I'm holding their hand because then I kick their legs out from under them. Hey, it's fun. Try it with your grandkids sometime. It is. Don't try it with your wife. You'd be in big trouble. Try it with your grandkids, though. You don't want to do it with your wife. That's a voice of experience. Uh, yeah. This is what the enemy wants to do to you. He says, and what, what he says here is, is, you know, be careful. Be careful. He says, you, you, you need to remain grounded, steadfast, not shifted from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Don't let the rumblings of this world, don't let it push you off from living your new standing in Christ. Don't let the world move you away from living the life you received from the gospel. Yes, there will be pressure. Yes, things will come in. We're going to look at those as we go on. Effect of the new standing here, you know, we respond by living as servants of the gospel, it says in verse 23. We live to serve the gospel. With Christ in me, I have a new standing. One that I can live from. Let's pick up verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am not completing, excuse me, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. The mystery hidden for, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There it is. There it is. See, with Christ in me, I have a new destiny. I have a new destiny. Now, before we, to help us unfold that, we really need to deal with verse 24 a little bit. You know, verse 24 and here's one of those parts where we get a little, a little flustered in our heads sometimes. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. Now, we need to look at that because, uh, you know, I don't want you to fall into some of the misunderstandings that some false religions have fallen into. Now, we add nothing to the finished work of Christ on the cross for our salvation. You need to understand that, and you need to grasp a hold of that. We add nothing to what Christ has done on the cross for our salvation. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it's finished, it says, and he gave up his spirit on the cross, what he meant there was, it is finished. It's finished. Everything that needed to be done for the payment of our sin was completed there on the cross. 
Now, when Paul wrote to the Colossians here, he is not contradicting himself with what he wrote to the Romans. Part of what he wrote to the Romans, he says, for in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. He died to sin once for all, for all sin, for all people, for all time. Now, by that, I don't mean that all people are, are, are saved because it's the relationship with Christ, you see, that makes a difference. He's provided it. He's provided it and made that door wide open for us to come. And when we come, he says that it is done once for all. Consider yourself, notice what he says, consider yourself dead to sin. Not consider what else you need to do for the, to complete the forgiveness for sin. That's not what he says. He says, know that he, he has died once for all. In, in Hebrews chapter 7, it says he, that's Jesus, is, he's talking Jesus here, you know, talking about him. He doesn't need to suffer, excuse me, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sin and then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered himself. We had nothing to it. He did it once for all. It's completed. It's done. A little bit later in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, he, again, speaking about Jesus, entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of, of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained what? Eternal redemption. Nothing we need to add to it. Nothing that we need to complete. You know, we, we are the ones that he obtained eternal redemption for. A little bit later, same chapter. It says, For Christ entered not only into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. <coughs> but as it is, he has appeared, there's that phrase again, once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He said he put away sin. Now, there was a Jewish belief that carried over into the early church, which held that we all had some predetermined amount of suffering that we had to go through. That still is, is with some religions today, that we have this predetermined amount of sin, excuse me, not sin, suffering, that we have to go through. Uh, and now, in the early church, it was very soon confronted as the error it was, because that makes the suffering of Christ insufficient, which is contrary to Scripture. Jesus was very clear we would face times of suffering. In John chapter 16, it says, But I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. He says, You will have suffering. And you will have... There's the promise. This is one of the promises nobody wants to claim. We want to claim all these promises. We don't want to claim this promise. You will have suffering in this world. But be courageous, he says. I have conquered the world. Not that I got you part way and best of luck because I got you a real good head start. That's not what he says. He says, I have conquered the world. While he was very clear that we would face times of suffering, he was also clear that it was his work on the cross is how we get forgiveness. It is through Christ, you know, that, that it, in him in us that we overcome the suffering. It's not by gritting our teeth, you know, and simply bearing it. As I look at Scripture, and I look at verse 24, it seems to me it's referring to those times in Scripture where it's talking about that we share in the sufferings of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, he says, And if children also heirs, 
Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Try to wrap your head around that one. Co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him. So that we may also be glorified with him. We suffer with him. Philippians chapter 3 says, My goal is to know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. We want to know Christ. We want to know the power of his resurrection. We don't want to know the sufferings. But here Paul says, to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. Peter wrote about it in in his first letter to, to those who were scattered. He says, instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. Now, I don't get it all, and I don't understand it all here, but, you know, one thing that's very clear to me is that the sufferings are an identification with Christ, not an addition to the work that he did on the cross for us. It is part of our identification with him, not an addition that we do to add to what he's already done. Paul's writing this. There was a time when Paul brought suffering on the church, and here he says that now he is suffering for the church. It's completely changed around. He was now a servant of the church according to God's plan. He no longer lived for himself, he says, but with Christ in him he served the church with the purpose of making God's message of our new standing and our new destiny fully known. And in verse 26 there in Colossians, he he refers to, you know, what he shared, this new life in Christ, as a mystery. Now you see, some of the false teachings that were popular in Colossae, you know, and there's some that are even around today, not as widespread as it was there, but it's it's still somewhat prevalent in some areas. And that's that you had to attain a certain level of knowledge before you would be opened up to these deeper mysteries that religion would reveal to you. And once you attain this level, you see, then you will, you know, then these things will be unfolded to you. What Paul is saying here is God's not hiding anything. He says, but what was not known earlier is now made clear in Christ. You see, instead of the mystery being withheld, what it's talking about here is a mystery, you know, is truth that is now being made known. I'm building this thing in the garage I got some plans that I, I found, uh, and it's it's to put my shop vac and a dust deputy together. John knows what I'm talking about, and he'll explain it to the rest of you. It's so they're all on one cart. These two things that are now you know kind of wheel around by themselves and connected with a hose and all this stuff. So I, I, I'm making this cart to put it together so they all ride on the same thing. And there's this part that comes down and holds this does a deputy thing in place. All that does is takes the big chunks out so it doesn't, you know, clogs up my vacuum less often. Well, I'm making this thing, and (laughs) I always modify the plans to the way I think is better. I just do. I've modified this one a little bit. My vacuum was bigger, so I had to modify it, you know, in that regard, so I did. And then on, on the other end, uh, 
they kind of narrow it down a little bit and it flares out. I narrowed it down a little bit more. I got all the pieces and I'm starting to put it together and I stood this one up and it's a little wide. Now I know why they narrowed it the way they did and not the way I did. You know. Yeah, now it's now it's now it's making sense, you see. Now now it's now now it's making sense to me. You know, and and it's something that now that I'm to that point, now I understand. This is what he's saying with this mystery. It's not that it wasn't there before. It's that they weren't, they didn't, you know, they didn't, we didn't always see, you know, people of God even didn't always see how all those parts fit together. How is it that the Christ would be, would be, would be killed? How is it that he would be, that he would, that he would die? That just didn't make sense to them. Now it's there in the Old Testament, but it just didn't, it didn't fit. So they kind of shaped it their own way. And that's why they had a struggle when Jesus came and he's going to the cross. What do you mean you're going to the cross? You're not going to die. You know, Peter says, it is paraphrased, so I have to put dude in there. You know, dude, you're not going to die. And Jesus had to come and say, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. You see, because it was a mystery, and now it was being revealed. It, it was something that was there, but it was truth that was now being made known. And he says, here's this truth that is now being made known. And part of the mystery, what they didn't fully grasp here, and what, what's unfolded there, is that the Gentiles were included in the promise of God. That, too, is in the Old Testament, but they didn't grasp it. You know, that, 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 the, God, that the Gentiles, those who weren't, part of, those who weren't, who weren't Jews, would be part of, of God's people, that the death of Christ, Christ for our sin, that they would be included in life in God through the Messiah. And they didn't get it. That the Gentiles would also be presented holy, faultless, blameless. This was blowing their minds. You know, it was like, you got to be nuts. This can't happen. Gentiles, you know, holy, faultless, blameless. You're kidding me. It was the mystery, truth now being revealed that the new destiny for all of those with a relationship with Christ is Christ in you. The hope of glory. We have a new standing and a new destiny with Christ in us. And that brings us to the last section for this week. Verse 28. It says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. You see, when we have a relationship with Christ, then he is in us and we have a new responsibility. A new responsibility. Our, our, our new responsibility is to proclaim him, to tell others about Jesus. To tell them what you know. Tell them what you know. Don't be stopped by what you don't know. You know, don't be stopped by what you don't. Don't be afraid of people's questions. You will 
be able to answer everyone's question. You will. And you say, no, I can't. Yes, you will. You can, you will be able to answer everyone's question because I don't know is a legitimate answer. It is. I have people ask me questions. I don't know. And they'll ask me questions about God and the Bible, and sometimes I have to say, I don't know. But this I do know. And I can tell them about Jesus. You see, we tell them, we'll share with them what you do know. And some people are always going to come up with some wacko, bizarre stuff because they're trying to stump you. And sometimes it's just legitimate questions that they don't, that, you know, that they're asking. And it's like, I haven't even thought about that, dude. You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, and, and certainly you can offer to try to find out for them. But, you know, don't get all hung up on that. Instead, you know, you, you can answer every single question. And when they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, say, I don't know. But don't stop there. Say, but this I do know. Jesus died so that I might live. Jesus died so that I can have a new standing with Christ. So that I can have a, a new destiny with him. And I have a new responsibility to live for him. And these I do know. And let me tell you about this Jesus. You see, we can tell them still. We can still tell them. You know, notice what it says. You know, you talk about it says that you tell them about warnings and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, a few things to keep in mind on that phrase. Warnings and teachings, it's not enough to warn people. It, it's not enough you know, to warn people about their rejection of God. We also need to teach them the positive truths about God. He is for us. He's not against us. He wants us to live. He's invited us to be a part of his family. We can tell him you know, he is for us. And notice also, it says that we should tell everyone, not avoid certain people. You know, because we don't like them. Some of the Jews, you know, who, who came to know Jesus, they still had a difficult time believing that the Gentiles should hear about Jesus. Prejudice is something that Christians should seek forgiveness for and ask God to change their hearts. There is no excuse for prejudice within, with, within Christians. I'm not saying it's not real. It is real. And if you say it's not, it's okay. You're wrong. But it is. It's just real. And again, it's, it's there because some of it's from our background, some of it's the way we were raised, some of it's because of some experiences that went on in our life, and we have some prejudices there. And what we need to do is we need to ask God to change those. We need to give them over to him and say, God, you know, it tells me right here in your word that this is for everyone. And so that means, you see, those that, that, that I'm having a hard time with, this is still for them. I need you to change my heart, God. I, I, you know, I need you. I need you to. I need you to do a work within me so that I can live according to your word and according to your truth. And when we do talk to others, notice what it says here that we need to do it with all wisdom. A part of that certainly means that we don't warn and teach from anger. We don't do it in a condescending way. You know, it also means that we live what we tell others. You know, it means we live out what we correct and teach others about. That we live out what it says that we should be doing. You know, we, we shouldn't be telling others what God says and then doing as we please with ourselves and our own living. We should be living as God says. Now notice the goal of the correcting and teaching is maturity, it says. Maturity, theirs and ours. We don't simply, we don't simply want to change someone's behavior to a behavior we like better. 
Yes, we do want to. I mean, we do want to do that. We want them to change their behavior. We like better. That's why we tell our kids, don't do that. You know, because we it's, sometimes it's not because they're doing anything wrong. It's because we want them to. We just want them to stop. They're bugging us. You know, uh, that isn't the whole. Re- that isn't the reason you tell somebody about Christ so that they quit bugging you. You know, because maybe God gave them a personality that's bugging you for a reason because He wants to knock some rough edges off of you. Just a thought. But anyway, uh, they, so the goal is to, is to help them to come to know who Christ is. That's the whole goal of, of what he's talking about here. You know, we should be trying to help them come to know Christ. And notice what it says, to mature in him, mature in him, to grow up, to know Jesus better and to live for him more fully, for them and for us, that we will come to know Jesus better, that we'll come to live for him more fully. You know, we should be maturing ourselves, growing, you know, to know Jesus better, to live for him more fully in our everyday living. It's hard work. This is what he says here. It's hard work. And it's hard work to overcome prejudices. It's hard work to help others mature. It's hard work to mature ourselves. It's work. That's why Paul wrote, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works so powerful, powerfully within me. Notice that although it's work, we have the strength from having Christ in us. His strength that works so powerfully within me. In verse 2 of chapter 2 there, we have some evidences of this maturity. I like the way Warren Wiersbe, uh, Warren Wiersbe's an old, well, he's dead. Isn't he? Didn't he die? Maybe not. Stan, Ken says no. Warren's not dead. Don't spread that rumor. <laughs> he's really old, though. I'm right there, isn't it? He's really old, right? Oh, yeah, he's old. Anyway, uh, Warren Wiersbe, he's an old-time old, old preacher guy. And uh, he, old-time preachers, you know, you always, you, you always have things start with the same letter and things like that. Oh, he did a great job with this. Um, so, you know, as you look at that verse, uh, here, the, the signs of maturity. One is encouragement. Notice what it says. I want their hearts to be encouraged. Okay, that was the easy one to pick out. You know, encouraged. I want their hearts to be encouraged. And then endearment. The verse goes on. It says, and joined together in love. Joined together in love. The verse goes on, it says, so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding, enrichment. All the riches of assured understanding. And then it says, and have the knowledge of God's mystery in Christ. Well, that's enlightenment. Encouragement, endearment, enrichment, enlightenment, all tied up in that verse right there. You see, when I have a relationship with Jesus, I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. That means I have a new standing. I am no longer alienated. I am no longer an enemy. I am no longer at odds with God. But I am holy, faultless, and blameless in Christ. I have a new destiny. Christ in me. Now. Right now. And I have a new responsibility to proclaim Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. His wisdom. Tell others what Christ can do. In a life, as you live from Christ in you. You see, the best sermon is a changed life. It's a changed life. The evidence of Christ in you. Too often we focus on what to say to people. We should focus more on the person that we are. On being a new person because Christ is in me. Now... You still talk to them, 
here's the deal, you know, Jesus used words, so I figure that I probably need to also. Trust me, he lived a lot, he lived a lot better example than I, than I ever could, and he used words. You know, so don't, don't, get, don't, don't buy this thing that, well, I'll just live before him. For all they know, you know, you, you either had a stroke or, you know, you, you're following Buddha. What do they know? They don't know what's going on in your life unless you tell them. So certainly you want to live before him, but you also need to open your mouth and you need to talk to them. Now, Jesus promised to give us the words to speak if we concentrate on being the people he's called us to be. And when we concentrate on being the people he's called us to be, you know, to, to live in and from your new standing, your new destiny, and your new responsibility. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's pray.